I read an article oh, recently. <laughs> the news. What's more interesting than the news? Science shows mm-hmm. a massive Marvel plot hole. Oh, no. Thanos couldn't oh, have snapped snap. with a glove. The snap. I saw this news. New, I say in quotes, air quotes, this news. Are you saying there's a news. physics inaccuracy in a, in a Marvel m- superhero movie? What? <laughs> I mean, it is really funny because, like, they're not poking fun at, like, the obviously supernatural stuff. They're poking fun at, like, a thing that you think seems reasonable to do. Yeah. But it turns out people did an experiment and you can't. How funny is that? Welcome to Reference Frames Podcast, the physics podcast where myself, Ian, and my co-host, Will, will try to demystify some of the ancient arts of physics by painting them using the brush of modern media. Will will take a scene from a movie, or he'll take a scene from a book, or a scene from who knows where. It's always a mystery until the moment of he'll narrate it in his best DM voice. And then we'll talk about a physics principle and how it applies in that scene and how you can learn from it and use it in your daily life. Perfect. That's 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 exactly what we do here. I think that might have been my best intro yet. It was. Yeah. In one take. Nice. Of course, folks, before we go right into our uh, scene as people who are pro science, we like to make sure we correct ourselves if we have done anything wrong by starting the episode off in the corrections corner. Uh, If you spot a correction at any point in time, feel free to tweet us at podcast frames i think Hold on, right. let me go check it again i haven't logged in for a little bit because we've been uh if you want to get a hold of us at podcast frames is the best way to do it you can also email us uh reference frames podcast at gmail.com so will mm-hmm. we don't have any corrections this week yay well any maybe. any any corrections as um as corrections we didn't get anything that was like, you did this wrong. We did get a pretty neat... Kind of an illustrative example, almost. We got an illustrative example tweeted at us. That's right. Uh, if you hop onto our Twitter account, you're welcome to. Anytime. At WillWorkForJoke1 tweeted at us, uh, basically about, uh, if you recall, in the last episode, we discussed flames and the colors of flames. And it essentially, it boiled down to... Uh, we see yellow in flames because it is it's impurities being burned off. And right? glowing because they're hot. And glowing because they're hot. However, something that has very few impurities or gives off very few contaminants when burning can burn invisibly. Well, almost invisibly. Nearly invisibly, if you will. At Will Work for Jokes sent us a video of a pit crew that accidentally spilled some gas on the ground, which then combusted. And if you watch the video, it sort of looks like they are rolling on the ground and people are spraying them with fire extinguishers for no reason. But in reality, uh, they were putting out flames that were nearly impossible to see in the the daily sun. Which links to everyone's favorite Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights. There's a scene in which uh, Ricky Bobby gets in a car accident on the NASCAR track. A ring? I don't know what they're called. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and he kind of runs around on the track yelling, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. And Get the down here, visual gag is like, he's not on fire. But 
Maybe he was. He could have been. So I will maybe retweet those or something. Yeah. So if anyone wants to see that, go ahead and hop onto the Twitter page, and, uh, and, and that's where they will be. And that's all I got for Corrections Corner, Mr. Will. Would you like to move on right into the show? Let's do it. Let's roll. You're going to like this intro. Nuclear scientist Otto Octavius, driven to crime by the AI controlling his four mechanical tentacle arms, has kidnapped Peter Parker's friend, Mary Jane Watson, in a bid to lure out Spider-Man. Peter suits up and swings forth to face his mentor-turned-nemesis. They clash briefly on a clock tower before falling atop an above-ground train. They then trade blows all around the speeding train cars, neither seeming to take the advantage. Doc Ock eventually begins hurling passengers towards the streets below to distract Peter before finally ripping the lever for the brakes out of the lead car and causing the train to speed out of control. Seeing that the train is quickly headed for a hard drop into the Hudson, Peter first tries to slow the train by jamming his foot into the path of the cross ties at the head of the train. While the next 20 yards of cross ties are smashed to flinders, the train is barely slowed. Peter endures the classic New York train conductor's sardonic, any more bright ideas, before beginning to sling his webs out to the sides at the buildings they're speeding past. Once he's attached his webs to several buildings on both sides of the train, Peter holds on for dear life, pressed bodily against the very front of the train. Peter strains with the task, his body crushed into the metallic chassis of the lead car as his webs, super strength, and determination is put to the test. The train does indeed begin to slow, the scene a cacophony of creaking metal, buckling wood, and Peter's roars of pain as his body is pushed to the breaking point. While he is ultimately successful, his body gives out into a brief unconsciousness. The passengers take his maskless body into the train car and thank their savior by returning his mask to him and swearing to never share his identity. So there we go. What do you think we're talking about this week? I hated that scene. What? That scene's so good. It's so good. It made, I was in so much pain watching it. Yeah, that poor It guy. made me so sad. What do I think we're talking about? There are a few options, I think, in here. Uh, mm-hmm. Nuclear physics. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the word was in there. Um, the word was in there. A big one here that we would be maybe dealing with is sort of momentum and inertia. Mm-hmm. Trying to slow a train down. And we probably aren't going to talk about the breaking point of a kind of railroad ties. That seems unlikely. We're getting more into engineering there. Uh, the other option maybe like springs mm. and, and K constants and Hooke's law. Have I hit on it yet? Uh, you've hit around it. And sort I've hit of, around it? You've hit I'm, sort of it. But I'm not quite there, huh? Uh, I mean, from a certain point of view, you could be, you could say you're there. Sweet. I take that as a win. There we go. Yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about Newton's second law uh, and how that relates forces to accelerations and things like that. So your idea about momentum, that ties in pretty heavily. But we're going to potentially save momentum for a later podcast. We won't talk about it too much here. But there you go, folks. Ooh, don't you want to hear about momentum? Oh, I bet you do. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, so first, a brief non-physics note. This quote that I wrote, Peter suits up and swings forth to face his mentor-turned-nemesis, seems to describe the plot of almost every Spider-Man movie. 
<laughs> like it's always his mentor figure who's like also the villain. Why do I keep picking bad teachers? Man, Norman Osborn seems so cool, but then he's the Green Goblin. Spoiler oh, man, alert. This doctor guy seemed pretty cool, but now he's a lizard boy. Like Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Sorry. If you haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man or the original Spider-Man. I thought this parasite was a good teacher, but it turns out <laughs> it's not. Just makes me emo and do a weird dance. But yeah. So, brief aside, I just thought that was kind of funny. As I wrote it down, and then I was like, wait a minute. This could describe like so many, no, so many films. So, Newton's second law. Right. So, Newton has three laws. Uh, the three laws of motion that he, he stated. Um, the second They're sort of the big ones. Yeah, 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 exactly. The, the second law is probably the one most people are familiar with slash um, is probably the most used by most physics people. And it's often written, you've probably seen it written as F equals MA. FAMA. FAMA, as, as you might say. However, I contend that it's a much more useful way to write it is A equals sum of F over M. Um, I think that really describes what it actually means far better than F equals MA does. And the wow. reason for that... Yeah, I know. Shocking. What a conjecture. Hot take. Hot take. Um, and the reason for that is because it's all about relating forces, so things pushing on something or pulling on something, to how it accelerates. And ultimately what we want to find out is what the acceleration of an object is based on the forces acting on it. So the end result is the A, usually, and not F, because you know the Fs traditionally. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it makes more sense like conceptually as well. Um, because the basic idea of this equation... Don't worry about writing it down or anything like that. F equals MA, blah, blah, blah. A equals F over M, blah, blah, blah. That's just math, mumbo jumbo. What it means is that you can determine how much and in what direction something will start accelerating or decelerating, if the case might be, um, based on what forces are acting on it. So what things are pushing and pulling on it, what directions are pushing and pulling on it in, and also how much that object weighs or how much mass that object has. Those are the critical components. That is three symbols, an F, an M, and an A, mm -hmm. meaning force, mass, and acceleration, respectively. Exactly. Just to put it explicitly. Exactly, yeah. Back so to you in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's break that down. So if A equals F over M, um, this means that if you add up all the forces acting on a thing, how much acceleration you get as a result of those forces depends on what the mass of your object is. And specifically, it depends... Uh, it's inversely proportional, which means if you have a big, big mass, it takes more force to make it accelerate. If you have a really small mass, it takes less force to make it accelerate. And this shouldn't be terribly shocking. This should be pretty apparent to pretty much anyone who's ever pushed anything, right? If it weighs a lot, it's harder to make it move. If it weighs a, a little, it's easier to make it move. This is basically the mathematical description of that phenomenon, which is pretty cool. And also, this should also be fairly self-explanatory, because forces and acceleration are directional, we call them vectors in physics, but you can think of it as just directional. If you push it in a direction, if all the forces are pushing it in a direction, that is the same direction it will accelerate in, which also shouldn't be too shocking, hopefully. Um, so it's a nice encapsulation of a very basic physical um, phenomenon that everybody experiences day to day in a little brief equation. Very elegant. Yeah. So basically, if you have a bunch of forces pushing into the left, it'll start speeding up to the left. Does that make sense? If you want your forces to the right, oh. it'll go to the right. Exactly. But if you have a... Are you going to get into the, the other combinations? Should I not get in? I'm not. If you had a big force to the right mm -hmm. and a little force to the left... Mm. What happens then? It overcomes the little force and it goes to the right. 
Exactly. Yeah, if you have forces that are opposing each other, you have to add them up, and if they're opposing directions, they'll cancel out partially. So whichever one's bigger will win. That's also yeah. a pretty much important key. You know, that's when you're getting really tired, and sometimes that force of gravity is just so much stronger than <laughs> legs. <laughs> it's just got to lay down. That's so true. So let's talk about what this looks like in the scene. That'll probably help us kind of break it down what's going on. So yeah. we know the train's moving pretty darn fast. So it has some velocity down the tracks, super high velocity. Therefore, if Peter wants to slow it down, he needs to accelerate it backwards, decelerate it. Yeah? Yeah. And if he wants to make it accelerate backwards, he needs to apply forces backwards, right? Because that's what Newton says. If you want to send something to accelerate in a direction, apply forces in that direction. Yeah? Makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the way he does that is he shoots his webs out to the sides. So these several buildings on both sides. They stick to them. And then, you know, because the train's moving, they'll end up pointing behind him at weird angles, right? Because the train's moving past them all. And so those webs are pulling him and the train backwards and to the right for the right-hand side webs and backwards and to the left to the left-hand side webs. Does that make sense? Getting this geometry in your head? Yep. Yeah. So those forces are going to be along those directions. And note, right, some are pointing to the right, some are pointing to the left. Presumably, because this train isn't going off the track sideways, right, they're canceling out in those sort of the sideways directions. So there's no resultant force and therefore no acceleration to the right or to the left. But there's no forces going to the, uh, to the front. None of his webs are pulling him forwards. All of the webs are pulling him backwards. So therefore, the net force on the train and on him is going to be backwards. And therefore, that'll slow it down. Does that make sense, Ian? That makes sense to me. Cool. So why is Peter having such a rough day? Why is he having such a rough time with it, right? Trains have a lot of mass. They're huge, super long, tons of mass, people on them, made of metal. It's not easy to make those slow down, right? It's like trying to stop a semi-truck with your bare hands, right? Trying to Try pushing a semi-truck down the highway sometime. It's not easy to make it Half Thor can do it. Half Thor could do it. That's true. Spider-Man could do it. That's true. Spider-Man could do it. That's yeah. true. Yeah, so in order to make that huge mass accelerate backwards, he needs to apply a huge force, which is unfortunate for him <laughs> in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense, Ian? That makes sense to me. Of course, we're not going to touch on the equal and opposite here, are we? Uh, How sad. We can maybe talk about Newton's third law a different day. Oh, boy, folks, stay tuned for that one as well. Lots of teasers for future episodes in well, here. There's a lot of physics that all interact here, but yeah, that's so the me, basic idea. Let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, mm-hmm. is shooting his webs, some to the left, some to the right, but also backwards. Right. Well, they end up being backwards because... Because he's moving forward. forward. Yeah. Um, as a result, those lefts and those rights, they're about the same, and they're going in different directions. So, like I said, with the big force and the little force in different directions, two equal forces in different directions cancel each other out. Exactly. There's no sideways force. So he's not getting pulled to one side or the other. But he is being pulled backwards. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he's now pushing the train or applying a force on the train in the opposite direction that the train is moving. Exactly. Yeah. And it's probably Henceforth, easier decelerating it. Exactly. And yeah, since we're going to talk about Newton's third law, the whole equal opposite reaction pairs, it's probably easiest if you think about him and the train together as one object. Because to be fair, he's kind of yes. melted into it by the end of the scene. He certainly is. Yeah. Um, the, that yeah. metal shifts around him. Yeah. So, so imagine that those webs are just attached to the train and they're pulling just the train backwards. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that makes sense to me. Cool. Okay, Ian. Where on earth do we ever see forces causing accelerations in the real world, Ian? Well, buddy, do we have forces pretty much everywhere. My gosh. 
but what are, I don't even know what the good examples are is the problem. I can tee you up a few, and then you can see if you can think of any as I go. Speaking of teeing me up a few, hey. let's talk about baseball. Let's talk about baseball. A pitcher throws a ball. As they do. The ball moves towards a batter. Batter, big swing. Strike one. Oh. Back to the pitcher. He throws the ball again. Batter, big swing. This time he hits the ball. There we go. The bat hits the ball and is going to impart a force mm. on that ball, changing its direction. Because remember, at this point, there's no force left on the ball except for gravity. Which and air resistance. Then yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> which then rapidly accelerates the ball mm-hmm. in the other direction, sending it, hopefully... Into the stands. Home Into run, stands. baby. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's a fun one. Great example. What do, you, what do you got? So we can talk about this whole mass difference in a few different examples, right? So yeah. one classic example is trying to catch and throw, accelerate a basketball versus a medicine ball. Right? Oh, Medicine yeah, balls are a heck of a lot heavier than basketballs. They have a lot more mass in them. So trying to throw those and trying to catch them, and when you're catching, you're trying to stop them, right? Stop them from moving. That takes a lot more work. Um, if anyone's mm-hmm. ever been in a gym class and tossed around medicine balls, no, it's a bit more difficult than tossing around a basketball. We haven't because we're physics guys. Of course not. Of course not. Another example of this that everyone experiences if you ever go grocery shopping, if you have one of those supermarket carts with the wheels on it, you're pushing those around, right? You might notice if you have a big family and you're getting a lot of groceries, it's a heck of a lot easier to push that cart around when it's empty, right? When do you start filling it up with all this food? The mass is increasing of that cart. Right, it takes a lot more yeah. force to get it to the same speed, to get it accelerated to that speed. Yeah, and then same la- thing, oh, but a yeah. I'm going to jump on that one. Jump on same it. thing, but on a bigger scale. Mm. If you're going on a road trip and you load up your car, that is normally just your daily commuter. You can actually tell that the engine has to work harder to propel you forward. How do you tell? Right? That? The car gets a little sluggish. Mm. You got to put that accelerator down to the ground harder. Uh, this is just a little, it's the same thing, but bigger. Yeah, I know, exactly. Great example. And then the last one I have, which is kind of a fun one, um, tug of war. This is a great example for those opposing forces ideas, right? So mm. people find tug of war, big rope, different teams on either side. They're each pulling in opposite directions, right? One team's pulling it towards them. The other team's pulling it towards them. And therefore, there are two forces acting on that rope, right? So whichever one's bigger right? That's the direction the acceleration of that rope will go in, right? So if one team's a little bit stronger, they'll accelerate the rope in their direction, right? Right. And so whoever has the biggest force determines the direction the rope will move in. That's a classic example of doing the second law. Any other ones, uh, Ian? It's everywhere. I mean, it's almost hard to say. There are a lot of, they're, just, they're all over and trying to find the right ones. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough. Sure. Um, and to be fair, if we ever do one on momentum, they're very related, so we can probably talk about that there, too. We can just bring them right back, talk oh, yeah. about them all again. Mm-hmm. Nah, I think I'm good there. Tweet us your, your force examples. Yeah, please do. And uh, especially if it's uh, Star Wars related, because the force yeah. is everywhere in Star Wars. It connects all living things. Mm-hmm. It binds us. And you got anything else to say about force, or should, I, should we move on? That's pretty much all I Give us a punchline. Um, like, give us, if you're only going to remember one thing about force... Mm. Or Newton's second law. Mm-hmm. What is it? Oh, you know what? Actually, oh, sorry. Uh, I'm all over it. the place. I'm scattered. You go for it. How, one thing I always struggled with mm-hmm. in physics was remembering which law was which. Mm. How can we remember that Newton's second law is 
FAMA? And does it matter? The second one's an easier question to answer than the first one. The first one is you kind of have to memorize them, which is not a very satisfying answer, to me at least. You're a physics education expert and you can't give me a mnemonic device for FAMA? Not really. I mean, then one nice thing is if you're doing physics, you'd use them so often, right, that you kind of just memorize them just by proxy. Um, Yeah. But the second one is maybe more gratifying, and it's that it doesn't matter at all. Why would it matter? It's just a name. Like, you could order them differently. It wouldn't affect it, you know? Like, people... Sometimes people have like, you know, the the zeroth and first and second and third laws of thermodynamics, right? And people have like some sort of like a hierarchy of them. Like the zeroth is more important because it's the zeroth. And maybe there's like a world where that philosophically makes sense, but like uh <laughs> Darn it, Kelly. <laughs> he was on a roll. So funny. We are. It's okay. Um love you, Kelly. Uh, but yeah, I don't think uh, the order is just an order. It doesn't matter. Love you, Kelly. That was that was Ian's wife, Kelly. Bumping into boxes. <laughs> oh, using forces on boxes, making them. Exotic. Oh, nice. Yeah, connected all the yeah, way tied, to it. tied it back. All um, right. What, what kind of questions we got, Ian? What do we got? Well, first, I was going to say, if you oh, have corrections on that lesson about force, please. Yeah. Tweet at us. If you have some great movie examples of the Force, please tweet those at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always looking for some cool examples or corrections. What questions do we have? That's a really good question from our good friend, Auric, who you may remember from an episode or so ago. I think it was last episode. <laughs> Pretty sure. Had a great question about Wi-Fi. Goldfinger himself, yeah. Has another question for us. And don't worry, folks. We do have a backlog of questions that we, we just try to align Questions and episodes together. So if you ask a question, don't worry, we haven't missed it or forgotten it. We'll get to it eventually. But Auric, for our question today, asks, what is the speed of push? Like, say we have a meter stick attached to a button, and you push it, the meter stick, that is, with your finger. The button clicks instantaneously. But it seems like this is an issue, because, like, if you have a stick a light year and one meter long, you certainly couldn't get an instantaneous click. That would break physics, and we don't like that. That's a great question, Goldfinger. What kind of diabolical device are you trying to make this time? What kind of (laughs) meter stick are you making to push the world with? I don't even want to know. Um, So there's a lot of things in that question. Uh, The first being, why does that break physics, right? Like, what is it? Like, why? What's wrong with having a one light year long stick and pushing a button instantaneously? That seems fine. Like, what's wrong with that? Um, Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, the issue is is that um, there's a thing called causality that exists in our universe um, where uh, causes can't occur, or sorry, effects can't occur before the cause of that effect, if that makes sense. Um, sometimes they can seem to occur differently depending on what your frame of reference is. Hey, that's the name of our podcast. Hey. There we go. Um, and we can talk about this more in a later episode, perhaps, this causality idea. Um, but to the more, uh, to the actual question on, on hand about, like, what is the speed of push? Great, great phrasing of that, by the way. Um, yeah, so let's talk about why pushing that meter stick pushes the button in the first place, right? Because what's going on? So your finger, you're, you're holding the stick, you push on the end of that stick, right? The only thing your finger is touching is the atom's on the end of that stick. You're not touching the atoms beyond, you're not touching the atoms in the middle of the stick, you're touching the atoms on the end of the stick, right? And 
when you push those, you're essentially compressing those atoms forwards right away from you. And those are pushing the atoms in front of them. And those atoms are being pushed into the atoms in front of them. And those atoms are being pushed and pushing the atoms in front of them. So you're, you're basically creating a chain reactive uh, uh, of just like planes of these atoms pushing into each other. Which And the end result is the whole stick moves because, you know, that's, as we know, happens when you push sticks around, they just move. But what's actually happening is you're, you're just creating this like compression wave sort of propagating through that stick. Um, and the convenient thing is we know uh, how fast these compression waves can travel because that is all that sound is, right? So sound is these pressure waves usually in, in air, but if you're underwater, right, it's in water, it's whatever medium you're surrounded in, right? Sound travels by compressing the medium it's in. So compressing the air molecules or compressing the water molecules closer together, right? And that, that is how the sound propagates. So if we could measure the sound, the speed of sound, quote unquote, in the, in the wood of the ruler or the meter stick, right? That would be how fast that compression wave is able to move in that meter stick. So maybe it's like, I don't know, a thousand meters per second. I don't know what it is. Probably somewhere in there. Um, that's how fast the wave could travel and how fast the button could be clicked afterwards. It feels instantaneous because it's super fast. It's only over a meter, but it's not instantaneous. Speed is not as fast as light. Speed is not as fast as other things, plenty of things. A Mach 2 fighter jet is faster than the speed of sound. So I hope that answers your question. All right. That was a great response. I like that. Thank you, you did a really good job answering that. Thank you. If I'm allowed to compliment my own co-host, which yeah, I think there we I go. am. I do think I somewhat uh, uh, waffled on the causality bigger question behind his question, but we can get at it at a later date. In more yeah, time. that sounds like more than just an end of episode question. That sounds like an episode question. I agree. I agree. So many seeds for later episodes in this episode. My so gosh. lovely. Folks, if you have questions, they can be about the episode. If you didn't understand something about Newton's second law and FAMA, um, feel free to tweet that at us. If you just have general physics questions please tweet those at us as well. If you have other questions, you can tweet them at us. Um, no guarantees that we'll answer those ones. If you want to get a hold of us at podcast frames on Twitter and reference frames podcast at gmail.com. Uh, would love to hear from you all. Your engagement, listener engagement is delightful. Mm-hmm. More fan art, please. We've gotten two pieces of fan art and we want more. Oh my gosh. Love the fan art. Please keep sending us fan art. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing. I think that's it. We have like five Apple podcast reviews, which is huge. So thanks to everyone out there who's given us an Apple podcast review. You rock. I don't know what it does, but apparently it's helpful because other podcasters ask for it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It helps that that, um, well, here's a joke for you, Ian. Um, Oh, boy. Here we go. What? (laughs) What is an inconvenient truth? When said with a lisp. What? It's an algorithm. (laughs) Do do you get it? (laughs) (laughs) It was really bad. I know. But it's my only algorithm joke I know, so I thought I'd throw it out there. As recording... This is the week of Thanksgiving. It'll be after Thanksgiving by the time you, you listen to this. But I just want to say how thankful I am for my co-host, for his lovely wife, uh, and for you as an audience. So happy Thanksgiving, and I uh, hope you keep listening. <laughs>